Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, and Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kolzik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And Noel, how's it going this week? Is it as crazy around you as it is uh, by by me? We have our changeover to the summer, like all the kids are getting out of school, right? So it's 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 I've been Tetrising. I've been Tetrising all week. <laughs> What's it been like by you? <laughs> we haven't had like kids or anything, at least not to my knowledge. But I've just been in a weird temporal space of being really early for things, um, and also not quite knowing what day it is. But I was on time for our podcast recording, which is what matters. And and so was I. And I'm taking that as a personal victory yeah. because I've been late enough times. Like, it's like three, but still enough times that I, I feel really bad about it. So <laughs> I'm trying to be really super on top of it. We'll see how it goes, listeners. We'll keep you posted. I will also keep you posted about TV news we care about, like we usually do. And this week, that means Vita got renewed for season three before, like, I guess season season two must have already started. I say that because I'm behind on Vita. I haven't even watched season one. I really want to. I hear it's great. I'm sure I'll love it. But I'm still very excited that there's a season three so that when I continue to be behind on season two until it goes away, I can still have some time to catch up before season three. Yay! <laughs> I know. I wish I had stars because when that and Sweet Bitter or whatever it was dropped, um, it was really good of those two. But I just I wasn't able to stick with it. And that made me sad because I really liked it. And I'm glad people are sort of like finding it, it seems like, mm-hmm. um, particularly over this past season. Um, Hulu was trying to push it on me, though, to get a, a stars add-on subscription for however much it is a month. And I just went super tempting. It's super tempting. I think you're good. Uh, you, we both have enough other stuff to catch up on. Speaking of catch ups, I got about five more episodes caught up on Jane. So that's looking like we're on track for next week and not this week. Cause of, uh, actual work stuff took a lot, a lot of time this week. So I didn't get as much catch up time as I would have liked. Uh, so thoughts on Jane next week, hopefully. Also thoughts on Cloak and Dagger next week for similar reasons. Um, but I did, uh, get some, a lot of quality time with, uh, updating my computer. I replaced the SD drive, uh, on my Ooh. computer the other day, which only took twice as long as it should have because I was having a really difficult time with some of the screws. <laughs> I was like trying yeah. so many no, the, different screws. The screws, screws on the screws on laptops are no joke. Yeah, I've got like a whole kit for it. I was like, these are mm-hmm. all the like it's it's got to be one of the yeah. It was so, anyways, so I did that. I was feeling very proud of myself, and then I updated the website um to so, like so the stuff in the back end and found out that the theme that we've we have for the website that I thought was self-updating all this time hasn't been uh, for years. So that was fun. That I was doing yesterday, downloading and activating and unactivating. And if I upgrade the PHP, will that break everything? And and so now the, what that matters for listeners is now you can actually like click and listen to podcasts on the, the website like you should have been able to this whole time. And like I couldn't figure out why it wasn't working. It was because our theme, the, my theme that I, I chose for the website was like three or four years out of date. And so it didn't 
like do basic things like handle embed codes and stuff. So, uh, listeners, if you it are, it looks really good. Oh, thank you. Except I can't You're get welcome. the stupid red on the sides to go away. Um, so yeah. if listeners are want to give me a hand, uh, help me through some like trying to get the red on the side of the front page to go. I got to go away on the posts, but I can't get uh-huh. it to go away on the homepage. And I, I literally clicked every option that you possibly could all the way through all the theme setup things. So I have no idea why it won't work. So I'm just going to throw it out there in case we have listeners more technically savvy at WordPress and such than I am to reach out. I would appreciate uh, uh, some pointers on that. But anyway, so now that works, which is exciting. And yay, that's what I spent like between that and recital prep. That's been all, all of this week. I, I started watching Jane, but then I had to stop watching Jane while I was doing my work because I was not getting my work done because <laughs> uh, I was too invested. Um, so hopefully... Hopefully all of that next week. A lot of TV this week I was too invested in to be like multitasking with. And and I figure that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I felt bad that I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was watching a lot of stuff, but we, I was also trying to devote a lot of time to the spotlight this week. So that was an extra bit of time. Yeah. I would say that you watched plenty of things, sir. I know that uh, you watched just as much or more than I did. So uh, I'm going to say you did great. <laughs> Speaking of Spotlight, this week at the end of the show, we're talking about Good Omens, uh, which is the adaptation of the Terry Pratchett and uh, Neil Gaiman novel that's on Amazon Prime. Uh, we'll be talking about that at the end of the show. Uh, that's just going to be one and done, right? I, I mean, they set it up that they could have a second season if they felt like it, but I'm. it should be a one and done. It should be. So we'll we'll see. More on that later at the end of the podcast. But for now, let's listen to a little music and take a break and we'll come back with our week in TV. That was What Else Could It Possibly Be? That was Fight the Power by Public Enemy, uh, very notably <laughs> featured this week in on The Last OG. Uh, so first up this week, we're going to start with the dramas this time, and Noel's going to catch us up with some Chernobyl, episodes 1 and 2, 1, 23, 45, and Please Remain Calm. Then I'll talk a bit about the Deadwood movie. Noel's going to give us thoughts on The Amazing Race, You're the Apple in My Eye, and then I have some thoughts on So You Think You Can Dance. Which is back for season 16. (laughs) Exactly. You have to. You have to. Then we have Grownish with its mid-season premiere, Fake Love, and we'll round things out with the last OG finale, Fight the Power. So first up, Chernobyl. Uh, I've been behind on this. Should I catch up? Yes. So for listeners who aren't aware or have already watched it, because it's it's done airing on, um, whatchamacallit, 
on uh, HBO, and it's close to finishing up on uh, Sky, I think. Um, I think it's got two episodes left over on Sky TV in the UK. Um, this is exactly what it sounds like. It's a historical, uh, uh, historical series based um, around the events surrounding the Chernobyl uh, power plant explosion. And it's very good so far. Um, I've watched the first two episodes, and I'm really enjoying it. It's really well acted. There's a lot of period detail. Um, but also thematically, I think the, the they very much came with a perspective of, all right, we're going to focus on this concept of misinformation about not necessarily like the concept of fake news, but on what the truth is and how we use the truth and deploy it and how we deploy not necessarily the truth and what that means for people. And I think that it's obviously a really good time to kind of explore that concept, but refracting it through this particular event and through this particular government and through this particular set of people, I think is really, it creates a number of interesting sort of political socio um connections so i'm really enjoying that aspect and that's very much at the forefront in these first two episodes so it's really good it's also really harrowing to watch in terms of like having that ability to hindsight 2020 type thing of like yeah no you shouldn't really be letting your kids play with the ash from that (laughs) Power plant explosion. Uh, That's that's a terrible idea. Don't do that. Really bad Uh, idea. It's it's a terrible idea. But it also like adds to like the horror of it all as well. Um, So I'd encourage you if you were sort of sitting on watching it uh, to go and seek it out. It's pretty good so far. And yeah, it's, I don't want to like, it feels kind of weird to say, I don't want to give too much away because I don't, but it's also one of those historical things where you you know how this is going to play out. <laughs> yeah. And the answer is not well. Um, but I do think that this is one of the more assured uh, like miniseries. Um, particularly the end of Please Remain Calm is just real stressful. It's super duper stressful. And my partner and I were watching it and like we were kind of just gripping one another's thighs because of the lighting and the sound design that they were doing for the tail end of it were just really good and really scary and it was just it's really well put together. And I'm really excited to watch the three remaining episodes at some point when we both feel emotionally prepared. <laughs> yes. I feel like that's a key part of it. And as yeah. I was like sitting this week, um, like stuffing goodie bags for my my students at the, for the recital, uh, I was like, what do I want to watch right now? Well, the answer is not The Handmaid's Tale. So I'm not yes. going to watch that, right? Like, oh, the different things that I was behind on and could watch. I was like, so many of them were just too depressing. I was like, well, I'm absolutely going to watch when they see us. I just am not going to watch it this week. So hopefully I'll have thoughts on that next week because I'm certain it is incredibly compelling. Ava DuVernay is amazing at what she does. Um, and it's a story that needs to be seen and 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 watched and pro- understood and, and you know discovered for people like myself who were not paying attention when the central park five uh when that happened uh but just i just did not have the headspace for it this week um 
So probably not Chernobyl right away either, but I will then keep, make sure I keep it in mind for, you know, when I do have the headspace for that to, to, to catch up with it and, and certainly uh, to see more terrific performances. And again, a story that I thought I have like the basic outlines of, but I'm certain I don't really know more than just a very you know skewed and very politicized overview so uh yeah it's uh that's when i will now look forward to catching up with yeah i think that's one of the th- good things about this is that there's there's that degree of like we know what happened but i think like the concept of what actually happened and how it like went down and how the soviet government responded to it is something that's a little more opaque it's like no we know that it had a massive meltdown and explosion and that now we think about it as this weird sort of site of well they're chernobyl dogs and the wildlife and the plant life have really come roaring back and have adapted to the fact that it's just irradiated for another like 70, 60 years. Um, and, but it is also to the point where now it's like a somewhat of a tourism site as well. And so that having all of that in the background, along with learning what actually happened and what the Soviet government was trying to do to initially cover it up, but then try to deal with it, I think is just, it adds a layer of things that I just don't think were in my mind. And I I think that the other thing I'll add is if you liked Command and Control, which is a book about the Tennessee um, nuclear missile explosion that happened in the 80s as well. Um, that is also a really good comparison to the sort of the process that this this Chernobyl kind of goes through. So I think that that, or if you watch the American experience adaptation of Command and Control, which is significantly less good than the book, but if you watch, watch that or read that, I think that you'll really like Chernobyl. Okay. Well, good to know. Good to know. Um, I all certainly, you know, very much enjoyed Deadwood, the movie, which is one I'd been looking yes. forward to for a while. Um, and I'm sure it holds no appeal for you if you haven't seen the, the show. I mean, obviously it's a, it's a really well done and, um, beautiful and interesting movie, but it's very much a continuation of the series. Um, there's, it's a little, you know, it's been so long since it went off the air. There's a little hand holding, a little too much hand holding with like shot, like flashbacks, really quick, like little shots interspersed of events from the finale and in other parts of the the series run that I, I wish they had just trusted the actors to convey it because. They were playing the hell out of that. We don't need to cut back to uh, Alma Garrett and Seth Bullock sexy times because it is all over their faces. Um, to yeah, so, so there's some you know it's a bit. I mean, I think I guess I think they're trying to help those who haven't watched Deadwood in a while or those who have never seen the show. But other than you know, so that so that was a bit uh, on the nose. But other than that, I think it's a really uh, effective and. Um, and powerful, you know, kind of conclusion movie, completely unnecessary, not even remotely <laughs> necessary. Because I mean, I know some people feel like it got just cut off out of nowhere, the end of, of Deadwood. But for me, that was a perfect ending for that show. 
Uh, the idea that there isn't some resolution and some answers, like it's just life just keeps going on. And they're out here in the like on the, the frontier and everything's so insecure and can change in a moment. And the idea that there isn't some some like final grace note. Capra just fits with the world of the show so much better um, that I really didn't think they needed it. But I mean, I'm not going to complain about <laughs> more more interactions with these characters that are so fascinating and performances that are just absolutely compelling and, and wonderful. Um, so I was really glad to get to spend time in that world again and to to see all these. This cast is so amazing. It's 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 so good. And and to see Robin Weigart as Calamity Jane again and not ha- like like, Noel, if you're next time you're looking for a show to watch that's old, like just just for Robin Weigert as Calamity Jane, watch Deadwood. Just like just put it in. You'll be, you'll be like, oh, my God, she's so amazing. This this was the show that introduced me to her. And of course, I've so appreciated her in so many different roles over over the uh, the past 10, 15 years. Um, but having her back, I mean, like just every everybody in this cast is really, really good. Uh, and so it's just really exciting to see them all on screen together and to pick up in a Deadwood that is 10 years later and everybody is looking rather the worse for wear for the most part. Um, and yeah, it's it just, I, it, it's one that fans of Deadwood have probably already watched and people who haven't checked out Deadwood. I mean, you could, but why, why just start, why would you just start with the, the pilot? So, um, it's the best kind of we don't need it, but kind of fan service. And um, I say that despite the fact that they, you know, kill off some characters and um, which you would have to in this world. Um, and, and and so it's not all it's not pandering to the audience, really, I don't think. But it's uh, it is it is very much like, well, wouldn't it be fun if we did this? Sure, let's do it. Uh, it it's the best side of the some of these different veronica mars uh, at like extensions for example that we've had and it's you know, because it's only a two-hour movie it's not like a continuing thing it's easy for that to just be satisfying and and really um worth watching if you're a fan of the show i'm, I'm more leery about when they bring shows back and have it open-ended if they don't have something specific to say. And I don't know that this had something new and different and specific to say. Uh, it was just sort of a last ride with our characters. Um, so I don't know how it compares to some of the other continuations we've had recently and that we will have soon. But um, I certainly was very grateful to spend some more time uh, in, this, in, in the gem and with the sheriff and, oh, sorry, the marshal now. And bringing back uh, Senator Hurst as our horrible villain was just delightful. It was really fun. So, yeah, it was a it was it was a fun couple of hours that I spent in Deadwood. So glad that it was back. Um, And I think also because I hadn't had like years of building up expectations around it because I didn't really care if we ever got it. It's like if we did, it would be great. But I don't feel a lack of resolution from the the run that we actually got for the show it i didn't go in with massive expectations i just went in with let's see what they did this time and i think that really served served me well though i did see lots of other critics who loved the show and had high hopes were very happy with it as well so it might not just be lowered expectations but um yeah i'm i'm repeating myself so i'm gonna stop talking other than to say i love jedwood it's so good
It's one of those top 10 shows of all time for me. Really, really great. Um, and yeah, yeah, it's just, it makes me want to go d- dust off my DVDs and start from the beginning again. And I don't have the time to do so. And I wish I did, but I don't, alas. Um, well, let's move on to reality. And we have another episode of The Amazing Race. You're the apple in my eye. In my eye? Yeah. So everyone stayed in Switzerland uh, for this leg. Um, and... They sort of leaned in a little bit on the survivor big brother aspect this in this leg by it's just like, oh, by the way, we're in Switzerland, which considers itself home of one of the longest standing democracies. So we're going to have a vote on the U-turn, everyone. And so it starts off with all the teams voting for two teams to get U-turned. And so that that was a fun way of sort of shaking that up. And even though, I mean, you know who you can kind of, you know who you turned you, but now it's sort of like very personal in a different way of like declaring it and people making votes against you. So it worked out sort of well, but it was also just like really interesting to see most of the teams go, well, this is going to be, a, we're going to try to eliminate um, Colin and Christy because they're, they've just been really dominating and but also they have that whole aspect of they're probably the most physical team that's that is still standing so they just seem to do really really well and then the odd couple team voted for them um voted for uh, sister sister and it's just like we only did it because we don't know them very well and it's just it was a little bit of a wasted vote because that team has been sort of falling apart but, yeah, what are you going to do? It's fine. It's really okay. Even though Colin and Christy still came in third after having to do both of the... Having to do U-turn. They still came in third. So, it was a good attempt. Um, the weird thing was that no one voted for Tyler and Corey. And I'm sort of struggling to figure out why people aren't taking Tyler and Corey really seriously. And it's a little weird that they're not. Uh, but the title... At the beginning of the season, weren't they like one of the ones with the target on their backs? Yeah, they should have like been. Shift? Yeah, no, it's totally shifted. No one's giving them any attention anymore. Um, huh. It's really heavily on Colin and Christy right now, and but it's just it's just really odd that they're not really paying any much more attention to Tyler and Corey because it's just like they're veterans. They've done really, they've done relatively well both of the times that they've been on. And they know the rhythms of the show. So it's just, it's striking to me that more people aren't paying attention to them. But what are you going to do? Um, the coolest thing about this um, episode, however, is that they all got to shoot crossbows, Kate. <laughs> because they got to reenact um, William Tell shooting a crossbow to hit an apple type of thing. Except with a, instead of a small child, it was just a small scarecrow. So mm-hmm. everyone got to shoot crossbows and... Naturally, the odd couple in which one of them is a Boston uh, police officer did really well on that. But then Tyler and Corey finished second on that, but beat them to the um, the pit stop because you had an option of running up this massive hill um, or taking the funicular. But the funicular only runs at a certain time and schedule. So Tyler and Corey were just like, we're just going to run. Uh, without knowing that it was a schedule. So they got up there first. Um, but it's just, it's a really good, um, whatchamacallit, it's a, it was just a really fun episode in terms of like, 
good challenges. The U-turn voting thing was fun, but also now the stakes have been like significantly raised because there aren't any more elimination legs left. So you finish last, you're out. And that's just been that that should like really ramp things up. Plus, they should also be at the same time winding down. I think there are only like six teams left. So we're getting really close to the end. I'm like both happy because uh, it's more entertaining to watch and more interesting to watch. Yeah. And also like bummed because I'm just so behind that I probably won't be able to catch up at this point, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but that's OK. That's how it goes in the world of peak TV. I mean, it's amazing that I watched as many seasons of The Amazing Race as I have, frankly, yeah. but anyways. Okay. Well, I'm glad that, that you know, as a violinist, of course, we play, we learned the William Tell Overture when we're pretty young. It's one of those ones that everybody's heard, and it's fun to play because you get to bounce the bow, Ooh, get to do ricochet. Um, and so anything that's a William Tell-themed challenge is something I'm going to get a kick out of. How many, how many infants were slaughtered? Uh, a number of scarecrows died um, because, and it's really amusing. Is um, most people weren't were aiming a little too low, so they were shooting mm-hmm. the crossbow bolts right into the um, right into the scarecrow's head. And when you hit the head of the scarecrow, like the head falls back and the arms drop off, so you had to go reset the scarecrow before you could reload the crossbow. And mm-hmm. it's just really. So many people were just killing that scarecrow over and over and over again. Um, poor Becca on Team Fun was just really struggling, but she also had to be really tired because one of the other challenges was basically skything a lawn and then um, raking up the hay. And th- this was done as like a team, but she was doing all the skything. And she just had to be really, really tired after that. Um, but she also finished that like first as a result of the fact that she did landscaping as a summer job for like three years she was like no i've got this and she was a beast everyone was just (laughs) like what is happening how is she done already and then it cuts to her and she's like yeah no i did this for like three years i didn't use a scythe but i mean i used something kind of similar so i'm just like Mm -hmm. whatever but yeah Mm -hmm. no she was just like killing it and but i think that she was just like her arms were probably really tired and then having to shoot that over and over and over again was just like probably exhausting. Yeah. I imagine. Yeah. That's funny though. <laughs> Points for the summer job. Oh yep. yeah. <laughs> Eventually paying off. Um, well, next up is, so you think you can dance, which is back for season 16 and they, this is their first episode. It's only an hour long. There's some changes to the format this season again. And a big one is how they're doing the auditions. It looks like there's three or maybe four episodes of auditions. And instead of traveling the country and going to these theaters and doing it the way they have in the past, where they're closed auditions and the only people who are watching are other auditioners, they uh, apparently they had like a preliminary like audition via tape. And then the people who made it through that first cut were flown out by the show to Hollywood. Um, and so the judge, and instead of just having the judges, they have the judges and they also have an, a full studio audience. And so it's just com- it's just completely different. They the reason they did this is because they have a shiny new stage which has 120 cameras, so they can do these like freeze frame, rotate around shots of the dancers, um, like replays, and those look really cool. But even one episode in, they're already starting to get old, and I really don't like having the audience there for auditions. Like, I I find it somewhat personally offensive. <laughs> As the person who has to do auditions, like, there's a difference between the audition and the show. 
And yes, Mm -hmm. theoretically, right, you should be able to audition in public for everyone. Yeah. Yes. You need to be prepared enough that you can do that. But that it's it just it it really bothers me. It should be it's, it's like it's a very high pressure and intense thing. And you're already going to be in front of the world. You're already going to be on TV. But the feeling in the room is so different when there's a crowd there. And and it also adds this level of distance between the judges and the contestants that isn't there usually how the uh, So You Think You Can't does their auditions. Um, and it's, it's so it's like it's also like a seating in the round kind of thing, too, uh, instead of being like a traditional stage. And that's because of the cameras. But it's it, it really bothered me when I'm watching this, like somebody's going up there for an audition and maybe, you know, we don't really see any people who. don't like who shouldn't be there right that's one of the upsides is they don't have anybody who's there to be silly they have some people who don't make it through but everybody who's there does a pretty good job and um so that's a that's an upside but as someone i mean we've all anybody who's done auditions has gone in and just bombed an audition for any number of reasons and i feel like that should be a private thing as much as it can be when there's a tv camera on you at least in the moment in the room you know and so it just Yes, if you do a great job, then there's this audience that you can feed off of their energy, sure. But that's not an audition. That's an exhibition. It's different. And so it's just, it really bothered me. Uh, The judges, they have Mary and Nigel back. And then they have a couple new judges. One was a contestant, I think, on season three. And another, the other woman um, is one, Lorianne something, who's a choreographer. Um, I'm not as familiar with her. Uh, she had some good good critiques, but I also she felt very much it, it felt more like watching the judging panel for Dancing with the Stars, where everything was so effusive and so uh, manufactured for TV. And I think some of that is having the audience there as well, because they're also they're playing to the crowd with their critiques as opposed to being very specific with the dancers. Um, so, you know, having the new technology is cool. And hopefully they'll get to do some interesting things with it. But uh, it's, you know, I'm I'm sure that is a very active negotiation to even be able to bring the show back at all. It's been close these last few times as to whether the show would get renewed. So I'm sure that this rebrand and and like new approach, which I was seeing online, people were saying it was very it's very world of dance, um, which is a different dancing reality show. So maybe that's part of like what got the show to be able to come back at all. But it, it really loses some of its charm of what the best things about so you think you can dance are when they sacrifice that feel of the audition and you're there among your peers you're not performing for an audience you know it's you're not like trying to get hoots and hollers you're just it's the focus is on the execution of the technique and the at least in the auditions um so that was a little disappointing yeah I, I don't like that either. This idea of like having to do an audition in front of an audience. It, it does really change the dynamics, as you said, and it would definitely change the judging the dynamics, which is not surprising at all that that's, that's what happened. Yeah. I don't, I don't care for that at all. I mean, there's always like an audience when they're auditioning, but it's an, the audience of the other dancers that are sort of there and watching them. And it's very, very different. That's very 
that I have to imagine isn't like particularly uncommon where you're being watched by other people who are potential or trying out as well and auditioning. So it's just, it's real weird um, that they would make that decision to do that. Um, I mean, I like the idea of like eliminating people there to be silly um, and really trying to like cut to a, like a more like a cream of the crop sort of audition process. But yeah, putting, putting the audience there is weird and I don't care for that either. I don't like that. Yep. I don't care for it. There were some really great auditions, though. I recommend if you are looking for some fun to go seek some of them out. This one dancer did a comedic disco that was delightful. And you could tell from what she was doing that she's got impeccable technique as well. Like, like, just like the little... Like you can just see like the in the extensions in the the body control these different things like the precision of it, oh that this is not just someone who can only do like this kind of comedic exaggerated form that like there's there's good technique underlying it, which is why it looks so fluid and and she can do such a good time it do such a good job with that and 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 really have such energy and fun um so that one was really great, and then there were a few really uh really terrific uh contemporary and um there was a good ballroom it was two siblings and there was uh some good hip-hop too um but yeah just i know enough people who do auditions um and i know how anxious and nervous people get before auditions i know how anxious and nervous i get before auditions and that's when it's just when you're behind a screen and they don't even have your name until later I know how stressful that is, but to have it in fr- an audition in front of a full audience like that, it just, ugh. I'm a purist, bothers me, <laughs> it's not what it should be, but so it goes, they're not trying to do what it should be, they're trying to make money, so, so it goes. Uh, let's move on to a cheerier topic, hopefully, but maybe not, the Grownish mid-season premiere, Fake Love, and gotta say, didn't really care for it. I was so excited for Gronish to come back, and then they spend their entire mid-season premiere with Zoe freaking out about her her friend and her ex-not-boyfriend being together in a really immature and stupid way. And, like, some response, like, needing some response time or whatever is understandable, but, like, I thought it was completely blown out of proportion. I thought it was out of character, and I thought it was just stupid. What? What? Did you like it more than I did? No, it's just very flat, and it also seeks to reintroduce the love triangle to a certain degree um, between Luca and Aaron and Zoe. And it's just like this has never been the interesting part of the show. Everyone, mm-hmm. you you are missing this. You you have misjudged what we are here for, or at least what Kate and I are here for. Maybe the rest of the audience is much more invested in it than I am. Um, I do think that a lot of this boils down to social mores being really not something that even I was willing to tolerate when I was that age of like that whole concept of don't get involved with someone that someone else has liked and that kind of a thing. And just like, yeah, I'm way too precious. Yeah, no, it's way too precious, but it also feels aggressively young for them in terms of like, all right, middle school and high school, I can kind of get behind this story within that kind of a context, but within this kind of a context, I'm like, mm, no. 
is my uppercase question mark. And then the fact that there are like de- demarcations of when this is acceptable and when it is not of like, no, not even that guy in sixth grade. Don't do it. And it's just like, <laughs> that's funny because of the specificity of that guy's name. But it's also no. ridiculous. It's also ridiculous. And I think that's what it what basically boils down to is that it just it feels really manufactured and not at all compelling. I'm sure that there are social groups and people that abide by this sort of a thing, but it just it just felt aggressively manufactured and aggressively conflict motivated, even down to the point of like Zoe going to Luca and it's just like, oh Zoe. This is just a mistake because Luca does not care about any of this until you start messing it up. And I think that that was like the point in which when it was clear that she was going to Luca, I'm just like, oh, we're just going to reset this. That's what this is. And I don't care. So find something new to say, show. And that's kind of where I ended up on this. So, yeah, no, I I wholeheartedly agree. I co-sign. And maybe she's always, uh, you know, projecting her stress about being cut off financially into this instead. And that's what they're going to go with in the next episode. But like, that's the more interesting thing. How is she going to deal with that? And they hint at it. But with that line about my parents aren't paying this exorbitant rent for me, you know, but instead we get, I guess, an episode of waiting and just... Yeah. yeah, it's it it's disappointing. I was hoping for so much better. Hopefully they'll write the ship and soon. Uh, but a show that doesn't need to write any ships is The Last OG, which had, I thought, an absolutely terrific finale with Fight the Power, which was sort of just a love letter to, to do the right thing, mm-hmm. um, which is still one of the most singular and affecting and powerful and well-made films I've ever seen. So I was going to... I was get, I was on board from the opening shots. I was like, "Oh, are they doing this?" And then you s- cut to the start of the episode, and just the lighting and the 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 way it's shot, you're just in that do the right thing look. Um, and it's I just I I loved it so much. I thought it was so so interesting and so such a neat thing to do for their finale. Um, yeah, what did you think? No, I absolutely agree. I think it's a very potent finale, and I think that the idea of following a template of do the right thing for their finale is just it's really good because the episode itself is heavily invested in this in a conception of brooklyn and i think following that trail that lee uh spike lee laid out and putting that here and then having that conversation about the glamorization of a prison, which also felt was weird to watch this. And then the Gronish finale, which talks about people making gourmet food (laughs) Um, um, in prisons and that kind of a thing. It was just, it, it was a weird sort of synergy that I'm sure was unintentional. Um, So having that discussion and then, doing like a larger discussion about love and gentrification and all this sort of stuff. And then having a riot break out um, and the police and show up and all of that. It was just really, really powerful. And it was also really, really stressful, especially the riot at the, at the uh, black party was just really 
it was really rough to watch. A little bit of it feels a little pushed, um, a little um, writerly in that no one told me about this block party, says the Dan Hedaya developer. And I'm just like, yeah, no, everyone should have been informed about this block party. I'm pretty sure you need a license for some of this, maybe. Um, so that I, that I felt was a little shoehorned, but the end result of it is just really good and really well told and really well acted as well from multiple different people here. And I think that because of that and because of the potency of what it's doing, it's it gets it gets away with the fact that this was a really weird space for a block party to be happening right next to this <laughs> this mm-hmm. 900,000 uh studio apartment type thing happening at the same time and it's just like this is a little weird. I'm going to roll with it because this is really good. Yeah. Well, again, it's it's do their thing in 20 minutes is what they're trying for. So, of course. But, um, yeah, I thought it's definitely writerly. It's definitely shoehorning the two together. But the performances, like you said, and the cinematography and the commitment mm-hmm. to the to the approach and the the idea, right, is th- goes all the way through, runs through the whole episode, and it really elevates it and makes it work in a way that it could it could feel like a pastiche or an homage. I think of like those episodes of Blackish, right? That that did good times and did some other shows, and this is way more powerful than that. And maybe it's because I just have a stronger connection. It's very likely just that I have a stronger connection to do the right thing than I do to the um the the different shows that Blackish has uh sort of taken on in some of its uh usually it was the penultimate episode or or maybe it was the finale yeah. in its earlier seasons. But the there was just an immediacy that that worked really, really well with the narrative and with the characters, as opposed to, it didn't feel like them play acting, you know, the way that yes. Blackish did. Right. And I think that's the point is that there's a, there's a stronger sense of weaponization of the homage here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that's a good way to put it. That is more about making a very clear statement and wanting to address a couple different things. And I mean, you can't do an homage to do the right thing without having to do that. Cause otherwise you just, you do a disservice to both, both you as a text and then do the right thing as a text. And you, you definitely shouldn't do the latter. Um, and I think that that's what, um, is really good about this is that the spirit of do the right thing is here. And then it's told, about these specific characters and about these very specific circumstances. And I think that that really helps, even down to the little asides um, under the umbrella um, and discussions about what's causing climate change. It's the cows. No, everyone knows it's CO2 and the greenhouse gases, but also, and just that whole little bits of those asides, I think are really help really sell everything else and give you a breathing space while still doing everything else really really smartly yeah i yeah it was it was a really i wasn't expecting that i was expecting to like it because it's been a really strong season i've been super on board all season but i was not ready for that and i was so very pleasantly surprised and and pleased with it so yeah it was renewed um back in may for season three and which was you know just a relief <laughs> for me because I was not necessarily anticipating it. I was remember being very pleasantly surprised when it was renewed for season two. Um, uh, but certainly season three, I'm 
really excited to see what they bring. And yeah, it's it's been a strong season and one that I've been very grateful is in my rotation and it's one of those these shows it's one of those shows that i immediately go to and and watch as soon as it's on my dvr and uh i hope more people check it out (laughs) if you're still listening to this podcast and you don't watch the last og check it out watch it it's so good (laughs) and tps makes their shows pretty available so you should be able to catch up if you are at all interested yeah, no, absolutely. You should carve out that time. Um, for me, this definitely won my week in TV. Uh, do you, what won your week in TV? Uh, definitely Last OG. Um, one of the things that I would point out, though, is that Last Week Tonight's been on an interesting little like run of medical-focused stuff, because they did medical devices this week, uh, and they did medical examiners earlier um mm-hmm. and i'm i'm really curious to see if they're going to keep that running in some other capacity i think that they've already done the funeral industry um i cannot believe it's been six six seasons of the show but they should do the funeral industry if they haven't done the funeral industry and poking at that as well would be a, like a nice way to follow this up yeah um i also will give a quick shout out to the prop department on uh the on problem areas with why it's an act we had to make a little little tiny KKK hood for the Statue of Liberty for this week's episode, which just just seeing that was just I was like, I that's someone's job. They're like, they get the script like we're going to need a tiny KKK hood for this for a mini Statue of Liberty, please. Thank you. <laughs> um, well, on that strange and unusual note, let's take a break, listen to a trailer and come back to talk Good Omens on Amazon. We'll be right back after this. I am an angel. You are a demon. We're hereditary enemies. Get thee behind me, foul fiend. After you. Armageddon's days away, and we've lost the Antichrist. We have to work together. We have nothing whatsoever in common. I don't even like you. You do. If we don't find him, it'll be the war to end everything. Adam, where are we going? The end of the world. It's not far. The Earth isn't going to just end itself. The four horsemen of the apocalypse are being summoned. War. Pollution. Famine. Death. Exactly summons them. Not my department. The end of the world starts here. You don't get tornadoes in England. We do today. The boy is coming into his bar. You sure? Would I lie to you? You're a demon. That's what you do. How would we win it? Last great battle between heaven and hell. To the world. 
that was a trailer for our Amazon Prime's Good Omens, which is, of course, adapted by Neil Gaiman, who was the showrunner of this, uh, from his and Terry Pratchett's uh, popular fantasy, I guess, novel, uh, f- uh, speculative fiction. I don't know, whatever. Uh, it's about a angel and a demon who are friends and trying to avert the apocalypse. And it stars Michael Sheen as the angel and David Tennant as the demon. And it's features a car that only plays queen and there's <laughs> hijinks and there's silliness and there's love conquering all in, in just the sort of way you would expect from um, a Neil Gaiman that's pitched to a younger audience. Uh, what did you think of Good Omens? Have you have you read the book? No, I haven't read the book. Um, Pratchett is someone that I've never really responded to, so I n- didn't seek it out. And Gaiman is a novelist, is someone that I don't think works well for me, based on having read a couple of his novels at this point. I just kind of go, mm, probably not for me. Um, so I have not read the book. Um, and I think this is fine. I think that this is a really good sort of weekend show. And like you do, you do three episodes on Friday or Saturday. You do the next ones on the following day and it's a good way to spend your weekend. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it was just kind of fine for me. And that the two central performances are what carried me through a lot of it. Yeah, it's definitely dri- driven by the performances. And if they didn't have as charismatic a lead duo, it wouldn't work, I don't think. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's popcorn. And it's yeah. it starts out, I think, with more substance and gets less satisfying the further it goes along. Yes. Um, yes, it does. And that's just, you know, that's unfortunate. <laughs> but because when it first starts off, you know, you get you get into the rhythms of the show pretty quickly. You can really feel the specific voice of this, which is very much a game any voice is very much a Terry Pratchett voice. And so you like you settle into it and uh and and it flows really nicely. It's really it's very pattery, it's very fun, it has a good pace to it. Um and then as it goes along they are adding in characters and it just gets muddier and less fun and less um successful. I think the the central performances there's more for them to chew on. And so the characters, the performances are much more rounded and interesting. And the the peripheral characters are very, very one dimensional and sort of by design, even it feels like. And so that doesn't do all that much to help you have a more satisfying end to the season when everybody culminates and comes together and you realize you don't actually know all that much or care all that much about most of the people who are there. Um, so, so yeah, while I enjoyed my watch of it, I watched it really quick, quickly. It was, they, each episode ends on like a cliffhanger. I think it was an episode too many. I think five would have been better. Yeah. Um, but it's very, com- like you get to the end, you want to watch the next, you want to, at least I did. And so there's that. It definitely has that going for it. And like you said, a, a single weekend binge. I think it's perfect for that. If you like this world, if you like these performances and certainly the leads, you're going to have fun with this. Um, But if you aren't immediately drawn to David Tennant playing a demon, he's playing literally the serpent in the Garden of Eden and Michael Sheen is playing the guy guarding the gate with the flaming sword and their buddies 6,000 years later. Um, If that doesn't compel you, I don't think there's much here for you. 
Yeah, yeah, there's there's not. Um, and I think that, like you said, like it loses steam as it progresses. And we can kind of dig into that after we do like a like transition to like spoiler stuff. Um, because I think that there are like structural things that Gaiman is much more interested in than necessarily the end of the world. And then once we get to the actual end of the world, it's like, oh, this is this is boring and i don't know how to dramatize this particularly well on a number of different levels and that really suffers that really causes the show to suffer because the build-up i think to it is solid and then it's just like it falls off really hard yeah there's a lot of style there's there's a lot of style and not enough they're there like for example our four horsemen are great I mean, Marie yeah. is terrific as war. Yeah. But then they just like poof and go away because and it's really unsatisfying. Right. And I think, well, yeah, no, I think the general arc of that finale, that showdown at the airfield base is really frustrating on a couple of different levels. One, Merely Enos's performance as war requires significantly more scenery for that lady to chew, and they don't give her any. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem, because her whole look at the end, when she's fully transformed into war, is begging for her to just chew everything around her. And she's not allowed to, and that's that's weird. That's a weird choice. But it boils down to the fact that there's just a sense of wanting to resolve this very, very quickly. So the showdown feels, like you said, it's over very, it's over fast because they want to get to the second half of all the happy endings and plus do a light body switch type of deal. Mm -hmm. And so all of that happens and... It just kind of, it just literally kind of happens. Literally, it's set up in a, well, that guy's really bad with computers, and he's only really bad with computers. So he can turn down the entire nuke arsenal across the globe. And that's the entire reason why, so that we do this like this. And it, it's like, but that was really easy. All of this is really easy. Mm-hmm. Why is this really easy? It shouldn't be really easy. You had an entire highway on fire. That was really cool. This was really easy. Um, and so that was, that was frustrating. But then there's also the fact that the show, at the very least, does a number of really interesting things with how it represents demons and angels. Even though they're all the sort of ways that we've seen before of... Heaven's just a big corporate sellout type of militarization type thing, and that's not necessarily a new take. But when you put John Hamm as Gabriel, everything has a really good edge because John Hamm's really good at providing that overly friendly maliciousness to his performances. And that carries Gabriel through, and as a result, it carries a lot of the Heaven stuff through. And then just all the costuming for the demons, I think, is just generally really good and really fun. I mean, Hester's got a frog on his head, and for the, and that's just really good. And so he, when he's got the wig on, you can still see the frog's like arms on his forehead. And it's just like, this is all very good. But then we meet Lucifer, and he's literally just a giant Lucifer, like he's the devil. And there's no imagination there. There's no, there's nothing fresh there. There's not a different take on Lucifer there. It's just literally a giant devil voiced by Benedict Cumberbatch for three lines. 
And it's just like, but that's really boring. And you've got Francis McDormand as the voice of God, but we're just going to do a big devil? Um, And you, you just feel like this is the least interesting thing about the show. And when you're building up to something like this, you literally cannot do that. You need to pay it off somehow, even if you do think it's... This is your entire thing. You need to find a way to make this interesting. And there's no interest happening in that finale, at least in the first half. Yeah. Well, I think there's not there's not enough story to sustain uh-huh. an in-depth, close look at the climax of the... the yes. Like the apocalypse, right? There's not enough... Yeah they're there they like it wants there to be with the way that they pair up the kids and like with this other stuff but they there isn't a, you, you would need way more time to really let you get to know all of these characters and they're not interested in that that would be a very different show where adam is the main character this is a show yeah. where crowley and xerophel are the main characters and so everything else around them is just you know business to get in their way to push them to a point where they have to you know but i don't feel like they even changed or went through all that much of a journey themselves no they don't over the course of this and they should (laughs) and that takes me to the next topic that i really wanted to talk about which is it just feels like queer baiting (laughs) this whole thing obviously they are they love each other and if you don't want to have them have some sort of a physical relationship because that's more human and they're other and fine but like it just feels like it is and and there even have been interviews with the the two leads talking about how they're totally fine with people shipping these characters and hey whatever that's cool you know that you you're have your own interpretation and your own read on it and there's that's perfectly valid it's like yeah except that then you have this very strange like wailing you killed my best friend and then nothing really comes of it later and you don't see the two inspiring and changing each other over the course of their time even in their flashback episode where you kind of see their relationship over the course of the centuries and like by the end where when they're like moving in together right for at least a day like you get some it feels like they they start to hedge and back away from that in a way that doesn't make sense with what we've seen in this episode or in the, in this miniseries of the course of these events and it's really frustrating just have an actual examination of what does it mean if for a demon to, and an angel to fall in love. Yeah, and I th- I think you're I think you're right, and it's deeply frustrating because th- I really do think Sheen and Tenet are like really kind of pushing at that boundary, mm-hmm. um, and they're both having such a good time that it's like the show's not able to keep up with them, and it's not able to keep up with the degree of performance that there's that they're that they're putting out of like no there's definitely a des- maybe not a desire but there's definitely a willingness i think on both ends of a non-platonic sort of thing here and i think that that like you said the there's not any room for additional growth here. Um, even down to like their growth ends basically in that episode of their flashbacks relatively quickly down. Basically it ends, you can splice it either as 
It ends when they decide to skip going to Edinburgh and uh, make Burbage a good actor <laughs> and make Hamlet sell out. Or it ends when they, um, whatchamacallit, when Xerophel brings Crowley the holy water and calls off the caper. It ends at either one of those two points. There's no other room for growth for either of them as individuals, but also as a duo. There's just nothing that they can do that escalates their relationship in any way or their arc of rebelling against their respective sides mm-hmm. um, because they've already made that decision. They made it in the 1600s or they made it in the 1960s. Take your pick. But it's been really clear about that there's no other way to go after that point. And that is a real problem for both of these actors who would be able to nail a really good arc that culminates in something that is a little, is a little, is more romantically driven or is more sexually driven. And the, like you said, the show just hedges off of that. Um, like, Crowley just seems to have a little more love for his car for most of it, which is understandable because it drove through a wall of fire <laughs> and kept running. And also Fleabag's dad showing up to be, your car's on fire, is very good. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's terrific. Uh, yeah, and, and you know, I have trouble with sort of the pacing of that relationship as well, because one of the earlier scenes is that Edinburgh scene, where we're led to believe that at the way they leave it, that... Aziraphale then goes to Edinburgh, does the miracle, and also tempts as somebody else, like, functions as a demon? That's mm-hmm. that's freaking huge! Yeah. And they just gloss right over it. And that's something, like, you don't, you can't gloss over something of that magnitude. You can build to it over time, but you need to earn it. And they, they just are hoping you really don't think about it. Because it's not that they just, like, both say okay well well, they just cancel out so we'll just do neither it's that they flip a coin and whoever you know like whoever goes and does both you know it's gonna is gonna be in charge of that and in the idea i mean i think that also would have been just funny to see if it was a longer run of seeing Aziraphale trying to tempt someone and just failing miserably yes. would have been super entertaining but um but that that is too big of an ask for too early in their relationship especially if when we see them, they haven't, they say like, when was the last time we had lunch? And it was in the French revolution. And then they had Krebs. Um, And that is way too long of a time in between for them to have as easy a rapport as they do when we see them. Unless like the, the holy water thing was like a breaking moment that then they like, like they just, there wasn't enough thought put to what their relationship should be. Over based on these other these events and what they're what they're trying to say with it, what they're what it means to these characters, even just like an examination of them both sort of enjoying who they are when they're around the other person more. Yes, I think yeah could have could have made a big di- like Crowley yelling at his plants is funny in concept, but just kind of stupid when you look at other other aspects of like who we can be and like as if he goes then if he we have that comedic yelling at his plants thing and then then he just takes him and was like i'm yelling at plants there's got to be something better i can be doing with my time like that would be more interesting and and speak to him pursuing 
interactions with Aziraphale because he's more interested in the kind of person he is when he's hanging out with his friend. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's really, yeah, the show just doesn't have the space or the willingness to do that because it weirdly, it weirdly thinks that there's too much plot, except that there's not a whole lot. There's not enough plot. Yeah. (laughs) And, but yet it's convinced itself that there is because now we have, Pulsifer and Device and poor Sergeant Sadwell and all this sort of stuff happening around the periphery that's there to push things forward. But also there's just not enough plot there to motivate that. And that's when you should be filling it in. And and you should be filling it in, I should say, with Crowley and Aziraphale sort of figuring out like really committing and figuring out their relationship to a certain degree and what it is. And I think that they're even the show wanting to do that body switch can't really find a good way to sell this idea that they know each other well enough that they kind of play with one another when Mm -hmm. they're impersonating one another. And despite the fact that it's telegraphed by Agnes's, um, whatchamacallit, um, prophecy. prophecy, that they're going to do this. There's enough within the performances that it just doesn't feel like Tenet's doing Sheen's impression of him. Yeah, no, he's not. And he's just versa. doing Crowley, yeah. Until yeah, he's just the, doing like, the fire spitting, which was very Crowley. Yes, exactly. That is just like, there's, there's not enough there there. And as much as I enjoy... Watching David Tennant just lazily hang out in a bathtub in old old style swim trunks and black socks, um, just having a ball in that tub, um, <laughs> it just th- there's not a sense that even on a script level that they kind of understand how much these two have changed one another. Um, that it's good and yeah, but at the same time, it's all. F- fun is the thing that you can kind of get away with it Mm -hmm. and that's sort of what i think the show basically kind of boils down to is that it's fun and it gets away with a lot because of the fact that it's fun and it also gets away with the fact that this is a much better michael sheen performance in another show that has good in the title than his other performance this year (laughs) that has good in the title (laughs) yes that's yes that is true and well and because I think that's a good performance. It's just not the right performance for everything else around it. You know what I mean? It just yeah. doesn't fit. Right? That's yeah. a just that's a performance in a different show, and for this show, it's not the right performance. And so whether that goes that that's Sheen, but that's also the producers and the director, yeah. and yeah. Uh, anyways, here I really enjoyed both both the central performances, and that's what keeps you engaged throughout. Like I I wanted to love McKeon. Michael McKean in this, and he's so fun in the first parts, and then he very quickly has nothing to do, and he's just yeah. sort of there, and it's disappointing because you've got Michael McKean, and and he's amazing and so funny, and you're just not using him. And the same with Miranda Richardson until the very end, and like it's just oh, there's just such a, and I think what's frustrating for me is that there is such a better version of this of a story with these pieces. That you could do, but we're never going to get it. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I, I Neil Gaiman has talked about uh, really it being important to him. He spent four years getting this made. 
um, and adapting it and like the whole process of it, um, really shepherding it. So he, this is his vision. This is what he wanted. And it is, it is, I think, a pretty faithful uh, adaptation of the, of the book, which I read a long time ago. Um, so it's been a while, but I feel like it's pretty faithful uh, and really captures what Gaiman wanted to. And that's where I think you run into that issue of when do you need another pair of eyes to bring out to heighten and crystallize the elements of the story that 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 are the, the most essential and to know how to adjust the other ones to work in a different medium. Um, yeah. And I would point to, I mean, not having not having read the Hannibal books, but I would point to like Hannibal via the lens of Brian Fuller, right, is very different than Hannibal if Thomas Harris was the showrunner. And I think yeah, it, it would, it's significantly different. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but I, so I think that that's the danger of um, the auteur theory, right? If, of there can, you can get great results with it. You can get the most specific and amazing results uh, and, and adaptations and really clear distillations of the artist's uh, original intent. And then sometimes you just needed more distance um, so that some, for someone to ask, ask questions, you know, and then get prompt the person to think about other elements that maybe like, I, I know if I'm writing something, it's easy for me to miss things because in my head, I already know all the explanations and I don't realize I haven't put them in, you know, I haven't actually connected the dot for, dots for somebody else and who hasn't, you know, already thought about all of this and packed up an entire world in my brain or a review or something else. And um, so that's why it's a fresh pair of eyes can be really good. Um, so yeah, I enjoyed this. I had fun with it. Certainly people who are intrigued, check it out. You'll have a, you'll have a good time, but uh, I, I would have liked a stronger, a more, a more condensed and stronger flavor of this world. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can see that. And yeah. Um, yeah. I have yeah. one more thing. Yeah. What is it? It. I can't. I, I know this is straight out of the book, but. Okay. I. It bothers me that Queen is used for Crowley and for his car. I think it's cool for the car, but the notion of Queen as the music for a demon doesn't feel oh, okay. right sure. at all. Yeah. And maybe that's the point that it's like hinting at, you know, with all these different things you see him talking about how he didn't even he was just hanging out with the wrong people. And then he got thrown in with everybody else. Mm-hmm. It, was, it wasn't like he's not really all that evil on the scale of things. Um, but Queen is the music of Queen is not <laughs> it's music centered on acceptance and love and passion and life and not trying to win souls for lucifer you know so it just feels very odd to me this you know because i think of it as such joyous and celebratory music uh and not at all something i would ever connect to a devil or demon it felt it was really strange very off-putting it just it also just feels like because queen's cool so and crowley's cool and like that's it yeah (laughs) I think that's that's the concept is that both of these things are cool. And how do we make Crowley cool? Queen. Queen makes him cool. And I think that's the answer. But it also provides him with so many good needle drops. 
And yeah, I well, think that's the other thing. Because <laughs> they have so much amazing music, obviously. Yeah. But yeah, it just feels, um, it just, it's like, I would never, there's not, there's nothing sinister about Queen for me. Yeah. And never has been. Um, and so it's very, it feels very strange, at least when we're first introduced, like, it just feels doesn't feel right. Um, but I know it's straight there from the books. And it's the thing about the personality of the car that no matter what CD you put in, it just plays Queen. It goes like, oh, CD of Telemann. OK, we're going to play Queen. <laughs> um, and that's fun. And, and and they don't really capture all of that um, in the show. But it just it just bothered me every time the different the, they had the different songs come up. I was just like, but I feel like there is a better choice for this character. But they wanted something quintessentially British and they wanted something cool. And at the time, not as ubiquitous, you know, as as Queen is now after Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, so, I mean, I get it, but it's very strange for me to be saying we should have less Queen in a TV show because <laughs> like, I, I love them. They're one of my favorite bands. Um, but yeah, that's I felt like I should mention it because it really surprisingly bothered me. Well, it's also just weird that they just never use princes of the universe in this either. And I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, come on. It's like right there. <laughs> it's right there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, well, listeners, let us know what you thought of Good Omens um, and whether you would like there to be a season two. Obviously, they could do a season two, but I don't think they will. Yeah, they they shouldn't. Um, but who knows? I don't, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. I know that there was, like, there was, Gaiman was planning on a sequel novel, or he and Pratchett were planning on a sequel novel at some point. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I, I imagine. Well, you never say never. Look at the Deadwood movie all these years later. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, more on that should it develop. For now, a few show notes. You can find a post of this episode over at theteleverse.org, where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can like our page on Facebook and start up a conversation there. You can find our podcast. Now that iTunes is dead, uh, I, I'm guessing we're on Apple Podcasts. I don't know. I should probably figure that out. But we have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. You can also find us on Stitcher. We'd appreciate ratings and reviews. Um, you can find us in all of your various podcatching locations and devices. Um, and we're both on Twitter. I am at the Televerse. And Noel, you are? At Noel RK. Thank you so much for a great week, Kate. Thank you for a good week and for a lovely discussion of a show that I was not sure how much I would have to say besides it was fine, but we found we found lots of things to say. Interesting. Okay. Uh, thank you, everyone. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse.